Welcome to Talking All Things Cardiopalm. I am your host, Dr. Rachel Barisi, physical therapist and board-certified cardiopulmonary clinical specialist. This podcast is designed to discuss heart and lung conditions, treatment interventions, research, current trends, expert opinions, and patient experiences. The goal is to learn, inspire, and bring cardiopalm to the forefront of conversation. Thanks for joining me today, and let's get after it. Hello, hello, and welcome to the first episode of Talking All Things Cardiopalm. I am your host, Dr. Rachel Barisi. And today I really just wanted to introduce myself a bit. I think it's super important for you to know who is talking to you. Um, and I just want to tell you a little bit about my background, where, I've, where I came from, and how I ended up in the world of cardiopalm. So, as I said, my name is Rachel Barisi. Rachel does have an E at the end, and this typically throws people because it's a unique spelling. Um, of course, there's a story behind it, and I was told I couldn't just skip over that. So, um, it's a family name, but I actually spelled my name R-A-C-H-E-L until I was in the sixth grade. When I was in the sixth grade, I had a basketball tournament and I had to bring my birth certificate. And of course, I have this in my hand now and I'm like, Ma, where did this E come from? And she's like, oh yeah, that's how you spell your name. Uh, you named after your aunt, which of course I knew, but I also thought I had my own spelling. So she's like, you know, that's the Italian way to spell it. It's pronounced Rachella. And I hated that. So I never called you that. I called you Rachel. And I was like, yeah, I, I get the whole concept, but I still have this random E. So in the sixth grade, I had to decide, do I keep the E or um, I guess, do I change my name legally? So I decided to keep the E and kind of embrace it. It was a pretty spelling. It has some culture behind it. Um, but really not a decision you should leave up to a sixth grader. And it's caused a little bit of difficulty just because most people assume a different pronunciation. So that's the story behind that. I didn't know how to spell my name correctly until I was in the sixth grade. Um, but I'm born and raised in Queens, New York. I lived in New York until I was about 28. Um, and I'll kind of get into what pulled me out of New York. Um, I played sports my whole life. I was always an athlete. I played softball and basketball primarily. And then I ended up choosing basketball as my primary sport. Um, played through high school, played D2 college ball. I kind of coached as well throughout. Um, and that's just kind of, I think, a really big part of me that I wanted to bring up because being an athlete, um, playing sports, being a coach, that stuff, the things that you learn is just instilled within you. I was a 5'6 power forward, and if you know anything about the position power forward, it's not meant for someone who is 5'6. So I really wasn't meant to be a power forward. I was a guard, a shooting guard, a point guard, and I always ended up on a team that just was smaller in size, and I kind of ended up playing power forward through high school and even into college. So if that tells you anything about me, if you know the game of basketball, um, I am a hard worker, I am super scrappy, and I will do whatever it takes to get the job done. Um, the average person that I was playing against was 6'2 to 6'6, 
and that never stopped me. I actually had a coach um, say that he would take one Rachel playing power forward over three six-foot girls, and that was a really big um, compliment, and it was really all related to my work ethic. I was never the, ba the best player on the court. Um, I was never the most talented, but I sure as hell was the hardest working. I averaged six to eight rebounds a game, five to six charges. I did whatever I had to do to get the job done. And no one would ever outwork me. And that has really stuck with me. Pretty much my whole life, my career has moved through like my different passions. Um, scrappy and a hard worker and I will do what it takes to get it done. Um, but basketball was my first love. It was my first true passion, and it taught me a ton of life lessons. It taught me grit, communication, focus, and truly the lack of quit. Playing sports, coaching, all of that, being able to prioritize your day. I was playing into college uh, out in Long Island, and I would wake up at five, get to school by six, work for about two hours in my car before going to class, Prioritize, prioritizing your day and making sure you get all the things you need to get done is of utmost importance. And that prioritization has really helped me through my whole life. Um, it taught me how to work hard for an outcome. It taught me that when you put in the work, you're gonna get what you put into it. Um, it even taught me professionalism, dealing with coaches, dealing with athletes, dealing with parents, and it taught you how to win and lose with grace, and it taught you about heartbreak. It was not easy to leave the game. I actually almost decided not to play in college and focus more on my career. It was around high school, probably my junior year, that I decided to go into physical therapy, and I um, chose a three plus three program at NYIT because I really wanted to um, kind of expedite into my career. I was always making logical, realistic decisions. Uh, that's kind of my MO. Realistic Rachel is something that I still hear on a daily basis, but it has served me well and it was a great program. And I chose to go to NYIT for the PT program, not because of basketball. I ended up playing basketball at NYIT for about two years um, before I decided I had to stop playing because um, my third year of undergrad was going to be primarily science. I think it's something like 21 credits and I couldn't risk missing labs for games. And so I had to make those decisions and that was a really hard decision to make, but it was the right one. I ended up coaching and I'm so glad I did. You know, everything that you do in life just adds to the learning experience, the overall outcomes that you experience, and it was um, it was an awesome it was an awesome experience to coach. Um, actually, in the the history of the Mary Lewis Academy, we won two state championships: one that I played in, and one that I coached in. And it's just <clears throat> just an awesome just an awesome feeling to be a part of that again, and from a different perspective. I loved coaching. I still love coaching. I think um, coaching, teaching, all of those aspects just hold such um, 
similarities and parallels similar to sports and life. And I think being a good coach has made me a good teacher and just understanding that not everyone learns the same way and not everyone responds the same way and not everyone is motivated in the same way. And just to learn how to communicate differently to different people is such a skill and I've had the pleasure of learning how to do that. <clears throat> so I'll kind of fast forward a little bit. Um, I went to PT school at NYIT. I was in a three plus three year program. Um, I graduated May 2009 and right out of graduation, I started working with the temp license. I thought for a fact I was gonna be in the world of orthopedics. I loved the orthopedic outpatient setting. I loved manual therapy. I was good at it. Um, and I had a mentor from my previous job, um, one of my first jobs in PT school, um, just one of my first jobs really, was in a PT clinic. So I helped run the front office and I learned so much from working there, billing, the insurance aspect, um, the ins and outs of running a clinic. I saw the transition from an orthopedic clinic to a pelvic floor clinic. Um, so I was really, in a great position to learn and I absolutely appreciated everything about that. I learned so much about PT with that job and I had a great mentor and she actually told me that I should go into the acute care setting now because um, if I went into the outpatient I would never go back and I would gain lots of valuable skills of being in the acute care setting especially as we were just starting to push for direct ac direct access and you know she was like get the experience be in the hospital setting be able to identify those red flags it'll help you be a better clinician so i listened um out of out of pt school i was working on a temp license in an outpatient clinic i really enjoyed it of course there were things i was um, studying for my mpte I was working probably four hours in the evening in the clinic, and then I was staying until, I don't know, 10 p.m. writing notes, and I was starting to see some trends in that world, um, and my hands were just really not holding up. I was like paraffining at night, and so I really embraced trying acute care. I really didn't know what to expect. I didn't have an acute care affiliation while I was in school, and um, I, I truly didn't know how it was gonna go and I fell in love with it. I loved the fast pace, I loved the quick turnaround, I loved how quickly you could see profound change in the patient. Um, and I think that was like the big, the big piece for me, that quick change. It wasn't taking weeks and months to see the change, it was happening in two or three visits. Uh, I was very hands-on. I liked the medical aspect of it. I liked being able to learn different pieces. Um, and as I started progressing through acute care, I started diving into those pieces a bit deeper. Uh, so needless to say, I never went back to the outpatient clinic, um, which was really a surprise. I even looked back at, a, we had a PT yearbook and in my PT yearbook, it said, you know, where do you expect to be in five years? And it was outpatient orthopedic manual. Um, boy, why I was wrong. So this is why I always tell students, keep an open mind, try different things, um, see what you like, see what drives you. And then when you find that, 
that thing that like you're hooked, go for it. Um, so I was in a acute care um, orthopedic hospital. So primarily total joints, total knees, spine surgery. Um, and I really liked it, I, everything about it. As I got kind of better acquainted with being in acute care, I started diving into different aspects. Um, I had an opportunity to work in the PACU in a pilot program that was just starting. They called it rapid rehab. And it was a post-op day zero initiative for total knees. It was only total knees at that time. It was at a pilot, pilot stage, so very select patients were being pulled into it. But the, the main goal was to decrease length of stay and to see if we can start rehab sooner and faster and would that have any impact on length of stay. So of course, we have this cherry-picked population who was doing wonderful in the PACU and they were decreasing length of stay. And so little by little, we started adding different patient populations. And so being a part of that allowed me to advocate for the patient, advocate for the PTs, and to start paying attention to the trends. Um, I was starting to see trends in different anesthesias and I started to dive in a little bit deeper with that. I started to see trends with different estimated blood loss and I started diving a little bit deeper with that. Um, but it was really in the PACU that I had this pivotal moment of wanting more and wanting to understand more and, and just to dive deeper. I was seeing these patients just out of surgery. I was helping to develop protocols. I was um, creating like quick and dirty techniques for the nurses to help expedite the patients that were actually ready for a PT versus the patients that were definitely not ready. And in the PACU, I really started to realize that even though I had the instincts and I had my gut was always or mostly always correct, I knew if it was going to go well, if it wasn't going to go well, um, I was still having a hard time articulating the why. Why wasn't it going to go well? I could predict that it wasn't going to go well, but could I articulate the why? And so I was working alongside residents and I was asking questions and I was starting to see differences again with EBL, with EKG, um, with comorbidities, and I just really wanted more. So I started to look into different specialties and at that time, acute care specialty didn't exist. It technically still doesn't. Um, so I dove into the geriatrics certification because that was my primary population. And I did it with self-study and um, while I was studying for the geriatric certification, I realized I still wanted more and I wanted uh, a mentorship. I wanted someone to push me, to challenge me. And I, there was still something missing for me. So I just wanted to dive in again. So um, at this point, I was a clinical specialist on my unit. I was running rapid rehab. Um, had a great rapport pretty much with most of the hospital staff, including upper administration. And I decided to start looking into residencies. And again, no acute care residency available. So I started looking into what a cardiopulm residency would be because most of the issues that I, were, that I was seeing in the PACU related to cardiopulm impairments or issues or changes like hypo, hypovolemia, hypotension, changes in ECG. And I really just 
I needed more. I wanted to be able to articulate it and I was ready. So I applied for the two cardiopalm residencies that were in existence at that time. I was waitlisted at one and I was accepted for an interview, interview at the Ann Arbor VA residency. And so, you know, I went for it. It was about four years into my career and I decided this would be a great time to pursue this from both a personal and professional aspects. And so I went, I went on this interview um, in Michigan. And of course there's like so many stories attached to this day. <laughs> But um, it was just a wild day. I had the early flight. I was up at 3 a.m. I was hoping to um, check into the hotel when I got there and be able to like take a nap, iron my clothes, take a shower all before the interview. And none of that happened. I got there. They couldn't check me in early. And they were like, well, there's a big boy next door. So... If you don't know what a big boy is, it's a diner type restaurant. It's a chain restaurant. So I did just that. I went to the big boy and I it was like 8 a.m. So I think my interview was at four. I was going to be able to, or my interview was at three. I was going to be able to check in at four and just timing wasn't on my side this day. So I basically hung out, hung out, hung out at the big boy for God knows how many hours. I pretty much ordered everything on the menu. And about halfway through my morning, I was like, well, I guess I should try to get changed. So as I was trying to get changed in the big boy bathroom, <laughs> there's only two stalls. Um, the stall that was not the handicapped stall was tiny that if I would have tried to change my clothes I probably would have end up with like pants in the toilet so I ended up using the handicap stall and I'm like five minutes into getting changed and I hear a crying baby outside the stall and I'm like oh no the changing table was in that stall so I'm like panicking I'm trying to get myself dressed I'm sweating my clothes aren't fitting right. Everything feels wrinkled. And I'm just like, oh man, this is, this is, this isn't going well. So I quickly got out of the stall to let, um, the mom and the baby use it. And I was just like, I had just gained some weight and I'm like putting on my button down and like, it's just not fitting right. And I'm just like, oh man, should I go shopping right now? And you know, I finally got over myself. <laughs> and so I go back into the big boy to probably grab another cup of coffee to just waste a little bit more time. And I start to see that the wait staff is like in a panic. So PS, I've been at this restaurant for like three, maybe four hours at this point. And they probably thought I walked out on the bill. So, you know, I make eyes at my wait staff and I'm like, I'm still here, just had to get changed, had to get changed in the big boy bathroom. And um, eventually I kind of made my way into town and uh, eventually to the interview. And, you know, it was just one of those days. It didn't feel like anything was going my way. I kind of felt out of sorts, uh, felt a little chaotic. And I'm pretty non-anxious, non stable, um, go with the flow for the most part, but I do like structure and they, there was nothing in the world of structure on this day. So I get to the interview and I'm sitting in the waiting room and I like lose my phone and I'm like searching through my bag and I'm again like starting to feel anxious. Nothing is like nothing is where it's supposed to be. 
and there's this woman in the waiting room and she's just smiling and I, and I just notice her, right? She's sitting there, she's smiling and I'm like, wow, she's just really smiling and I'm like in a full-fledged panic. And moments later, another person walks into the weight room um, that looks just like this woman who's smiling. <laughs> like same exact smile is coming at me. It takes me a bit of time to realize that these two people are related and the person who is coming into the waiting room now is the person I'm interviewing against, I guess. I don't know how you would say that. Or is also on the interview for the residency. That's probably a better way to say it. So again, I'm like, oh my God, I wasn't prepared to meet someone who is essentially interviewing for the same position. And I was just really trying not to panic. She was... Um, dressed really nice. She was in a full suit, just looked very kind, had a very calm demeanor. And I'm like, panicked, sweating through my shirt. It doesn't even fit. I'm wrinkled. And I'm like, oh man, this, this is not, this is not going in my favor. So, um, and then this person talks and she's got this really sweet Texas accent and I'm like, I'm done, I'm out. No one's gonna hire the, the New Yorker against this sweet person from Texas who's like got her shit together. And you know, I just created all this chaos in my own mind. Um, we end up both getting the position for the residency and it was amazing because um, this my residency partner we were complete opposites and it was like the perfect match. It, no one could it really no one could really expect how well we worked together or how well we just meshed. Um, we were complete opposites, like I said, she was from Texas, I'm from New York. She grew up around cows. I'm like in a huge city very different backgrounds and also just different demeanors and we both brought something to the table um, but she was amazing she uh, basically one of my best friends now I'm sure I'll have her on the podcast at some point um, but the residency was a great experience it was exactly what I needed it was exactly what I wanted I feel like I earned my GCS during that residency, I was at a VA, so I really got to use my whole scope of license. I was doing wound care and wound vacs and running patient education sessions and creating protocols in the ICU, creating um, or having PT join medical rounds in the ICU. I was helping run outpatient pulmonary and cardiac rehab. And basically in an entire day, I can go from outpatient to ICU to CLC, which was like a skilled nursing facility. So it was just an awesome experience. I ended up getting hired into the residency um, and ended up being a mentor in that residency. And quite frankly, it was my dream job. Anything that you could do that was in your scope of practice, you could do. And there was good PT culture. And there was just a lot of um, advocation for PT to be in different settings. Uh, like I said, I was running outpatient um, cardiac and pulmonary rehab, but I also had the opportunity to start a telehealth cardiac rehab program. Um, it was originally created in the, the Iowa VA, and we basically, they were trying to expand. And so we were one of the VAs that basically took it on and ran it in our own setting. 
So just so many different experiences. Like I said, you could be in the ICU, run outpatient cardiac rehab, then be in telehealth, then have a skilled nursing facility patient, then be up on the floors doing an acute care treat. Literally, it was the best of all worlds and being a mentor in the residency, I got to teach. So just having all of that versatility in my day is, is something that I thrive on um, and something that I hope to recreate now. So just kind of as a recap, I'm born and raised in Queens, New York. I grew up playing sports, basketball and coaching have been a huge part of my life and have instilled a lot of um, values. I graduated from PT school in 2009, was in the acute care setting for about four years. Um, I then uprooted my life to Michigan to do a residency and I was there for about four and a half years or so. Um, and then I decided at that point, um, we were kind of, we were in Michigan, so we were between New York and Kansas. We were the, we were always traveling to and from family and we decided that when we got married we would try to move closer to at least one family so in 2017 we uprooted our life again and did all of the things that i highly recommend that you don't do in a small period of time um, we quit our jobs we bought a house we got married we went on a honeymoon while still looking for jobs and you know it was amazing and also do not recommend. Um, faculty position opened up with a need in cardial palm, and honestly, it just felt like the universe—the universe put itself in its place, and everything was lining up. And I had already been thinking about teaching. My mentor from the residency asked me if I was interested in teaching, and I already had been teaching in the residency, um, but just not at this. I don't even want to say level, but not at the consistency that a faculty position would require. Um, but it all just felt right. And as you know, I, I ended up getting the position and I dove in head first. And I was in faculty for just about four years before I decided to leave academia and pursue all things cardiopalm full time. So here we are now, we're in a, full-fledged of building um, and I'm super excited and as you know I am diving in head first so I'm super excited to get this podcast off the ground um, it's actually something that I didn't I didn't realize I wanted to do or needed to do until I started talking about it and this podcast needs to exist it doesn't exist currently um, there's nothing out there like it and I really feel like cardiopalm holds so much weight in so many different settings and it just doesn't get the weight or respect that it deserves. And I've constantly heard, especially through the last nine years as I've moved further and further into my specialty, uh, like, why cardiopalm? It's not sexy. No one likes that class. Like, I don't even remember my cardiopalm teacher and all, like, all sorts of stuff. Here's what I have to say. Cardiopalm is super important, it's super necessary, and it's sexy. Watch me make it so. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to chatting with you, learning with you, and bringing all things Cardiopalm to the forefront of conversation. I hope you have a wonderful day, and whatever you have to do, get after it.